Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Post-Progressive Inquiries. I'm Jeff Salzman, creator of The Daily Evolver, and my co-host is Steve McIntosh, one of our leading integral philosophers and founder of the Institute for Cultural Evolution. Steve's and my guest today, Rand Stegen, is well known in the integral world, is founder of the Stegen Leadership Academy. Stegen is the gold standard for leadership training, focused on long-term disciplined leadership practice, which integrates psychological and even spiritual dimensions into professional development. I consider Rand to be one of the most effective appliers of integral thinking out there, and I enjoyed this conversation immensely. I hope you do too. Steve McIntosh kicks us off. Welcome, Rand Stegen, to Post-Progressive Inquiries. We're honored to have you. We've gotten to be pretty close friends this year and uh, really excited to talk to you about your work. So let me start off uh, by asking you the, the obvious question. Uh, we're all in this for the integral philosophy, right? For this new understanding of the evolution of consciousness and culture. And um, my first question is, tell us your story about how you came to be involved with this movement. Sure. It's, uh, it's great to be here with you, Steve, and Jeff, and, uh, and whoever's listening out there. This has been a, um, a real treat to be listening to both of you in a variety of uh, formats um, in uh, going back 20 years to uh, some of the integral early integral gatherings with both of you and seeing you on stage and then your writing and your uh, and your podcast, Jeff, and, um, and so many other mediums. So it's, it's really great to be here. The, the question of integral, and I, I really do have uh, hopefully something unique to bring to, uh, to my experience of this you know, beautiful territory and this beautiful maps that have been made um, for integral and you know, going by other names most recently with you, Steve, post-progressive. Uh, and, and for me, this, this, this is all points to a building an elevated view, having the capacity in the, in the world of conscious capitalism, we would simply say conscious would be another way of uh, pointing to this idea of growing awareness or elevated awareness. And so I have always been uh, intrigued and drawn to the idea of expanding perspectives, being a learner, and, uh, and always uh, committed to growing. And I didn't meet the integral world until, uh, until about 20 years ago. And that was through uh, my business partner at the time, Brett Thomas, and through uh, Tony Schwartz's book, uh, What Really Matters, Searching for Wisdom in America, which actually introduced me to Ken Wilber's um, work through that book. And I found Ken and Brett was, excited about Ken. And so, um, so it's been about two decades. So I'd say I'm in some ways, I'm still a beginner in integral theory. So uh, it's great to be here, but that's a little bit of a quick background. Yeah. And would you say that integral theory is, um, it's sort of knitted into what you do at Stegen, right? Well, I would say it's more than sort of knitted in. I'd say that we built our philosophical foundation um, heavily informed by integral theory, uh, our flagship program, uh, training program that's called the Integral Leadership Program, the ILP, um, has, uh, has been operating now for, um, for two consecutive decades with thousands of leaders going through that. It's a 52-week yeah. intensive. 
And so, um, so it, I, Jeff, I'd say more than, sl than, than slightly knit it through, it's foundational. Yeah. How does it show up? You know, so we have these levels of development stages that we see one growing out of the other. That's tough to do when you're dealing with groups of civilians, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Well, so when you say, how does it show up? You know, give me a little bit more, um, a little bit more of a specific context that would be helpful. Well, if, if we're talking about um, working with people and identifying, <clears throat> I don't know if you do this, and maybe you don't, this is maybe the question, but how do you deal with stages of development? You know? Yeah. And, and do you identify that as being a vertical thing? Or, uh, you know, what's the, what's the skillful means of working with this without, you know, some of its more scandalous uh, claims? Sure. Yeah, we would, um, we would assert to our clients, which are uh, senior business executives, mostly uh, in corporate America. We, uh, that's a, sort of our specialty is, um, is executive development for, for senior leaders. A lot of CEOs, a lot of entrepreneurs, and what some of your listeners may know as the C-suite, sort of that, um, that, that top tier of leaders. And we introduce in all of our programs both in our um, undergraduate offerings and our graduate offering, the idea that development happens in two dimensions. There's the development horizontally, which many people listening are familiar with, and the development of a vertical. What we, uh, what we attempt to do is really celebrate the importance and the value of both, and also invite people to recognize that um, that most executive education, most corporate training is going to be helping people uh, develop horizontally, skill development, knowledge acquisition. Uh, and, we, and we really want to see that as, um, as critical. And in the old days, when we first started, we were a little bit captivated by vertical. And I, I, uh, and I remember myself even marginalizing horizontal development and valorizing vertical development. And it took three or four years um, with some with some challenge and some uh, maturing on my part to realize that uh, we really needed to see our work as starting with our with our first uh, first time clients starting horizontally, and then after um, somewhere between in our experience uh, in our 52 week orientation the end of our leadership program somewhere around nine months and it's really fascinating that it's nine months as the pattern for some leaders. In some circumstances, a shift can occur and an openness can happen, which can often be catalyzed by some kind of a breakdown, working with their executive coach, who's often a psychotherapist or psychologist doing this, this coaching work, very intimate, very personal. And, and that opening at that sort of nine month mark, the third quarter for us in our four quarter program, is where we then start to encourage a leader to consider what might a vertical climb look like for him or for her. And instead of saying, we're gonna promise that within the 52 week program, we actually say the 52 week orientation to integral leadership is where it's mostly gonna be horizontal. And you may actually catalyze some kind of spark that can fuel a vertical journey and then we would invite them to see that as a, uh, as a lifelong journey in 10-year increments. And so we coined the term decading uh, versus being a short-termer. We embrace this idea of being a decader to think about one's 
journey as a developing human being, one's journey as a, uh, as a conscious capitalist, someone who wants to um, help make the world a better place while uh, embracing the, the benefits of profit and capitalism. And, and we would really say it's all about decade increments. And, um, and surprisingly, people say, there's no way you get away with that. Um, we get away with it. Not only do we get away with it, we thrive on it. And, um, and we've been able to attract a community of leaders who resonate with playing the long game. Right on. Let me, let me follow up on that and ask, regarding your definition of vertical development, um, my, uh, my assumption is that you rely heavily on the definition of vertical development as brought to us by developmental psychology. And then when we overlay the vertical development um, that, that is the sort of sweet spot between Keegan and, and many of the other uh, yep. prominent developmentalists, we, we see how that same individual development is broadcast large on the culture, right? And then we see the, the, the cultural emergence of this progressive worldview, this progressive postmodern worldview. And we can see that as one line in cultural historical development and then another line in personal development. But I'm wondering whether you can, whether you have any difficulties integrating the challenges of progressivism to business in general with a program that purports to develop leaders, you know, into that level and beyond. Yeah, I would say that's a big, that's a big complex and timely question here ending 2020 with the rise of um, a form of progressivism, which is getting a lot of people's attention. We are, um, we are primarily working with, uh, with leaders at, from an altitude standpoint whose center of gravity is going to be more at that kind of um, with a modernist camp. Um, what we would call in our translation of uh, spiral dynamics of orange, we would call that the achiever worldview and or strive drive obviously goes by a lot of different names. Uh, but we, we work with achievers. We work with achievers who are open, who might be um, orange exit or early pluralist, early green, early progressive. And we also surprisingly to a lot of people work with leaders that have uh, very developed um, you know, personal, let's call this in the, uh, in the ego line, sort of, you know, they're, they're at that achiever altitude, however, um, retain quite a strong traditional value set, where their spiritual line may actually be uh, much more grounded in, uh, in, in, in America and Christianity. And so our, uh, our integral friends, and I'll draw some cliches here at Boulder or in you know, Portland or in um, or in San Francisco, are often in awe of our capacity to work with the clients that we work with at the altitude that we work at. And, um, and the joke that I have is, you know, the, um, the integral community is so, um, is so accustomed to embracing this idea of to transcend and include. And after about eight or nine years of being in the integral community, I noticed almost um, in the pathology of the community as I experienced it, almost a disdain for traditionalism and for Christianity and for patriotism and for all these kind of wonderfully um, familiar attributes of where I, of where I you know, spend my life. I'm in the arena, you know, working where, you know, Steve, I think I told you this recently, people say, why are you in Dallas, Texas? 
you're working with Keegan and Cook Reuter and Torbert and, you know, directly with all of them over the years, but also with their material and Ken Wilbur directly and obviously with his material and, and both of you guys and so many others, uh, Diane Hamilton. And they're like, why are you in Dallas? And I'm like, because that's where the need is, right? That's where the work is. Why are we in Nebraska? Why are we in Illinois? Why are we in Kansas? I mean, oh my gosh, why are we in Oklahoma, in Louisiana? Because this is where the work is. And so these so many people in the integral community can sit and actually recognize, wow, we've got, we've got this developmental, you know, all these different metaphors, you know, the escalator of development, whatever you want to call it. And yet there's almost a transcending and excluding attitude in so much of the integral community, not all of it, but in so much of it. And it's like, come to Dallas and work with us and work with us in the trenches. And we've had people from San Francisco and from other places come to Dallas for a year or two, do a tour of duty, kind of like Teach for America, you know, come down into, <laughs> uh, come down into Achiever land. And they, and they will, which I really appreciate when they're honest about this, and they'll say, Rand, I just can't do it. It's just too hard to live in this, in this particular uh, altitude. It's just too hard. And I'm like, great. So go back to, quote, second tier and go and sort of write and, uh, and be a thought leader and be intellectual, but don't complain to me about the fact that you, um, you can't get traction and success as a coach or a consultant because you can't actually have it both ways. You, you can't be judgmental of lower levels of development and then complain that you're not able to build. I hear a lot of these complaints. I can't build my business. I can't get traction. And it's like, well, then you, you got to decide what you want. And I think Wilbur called it once, which I loved. He called it a two to two uh, conversation or work, second tier to second tier versus two to one, the second tier to first tier. And we've chosen the two to one path to help evolve uh, and to help mature the collective up. And so that's a long answer to only a part of your question. That's a good answer. You know, when I, I think about um, how integral is coming on in the world, in some ways, what you're talking about, the people who are, have a strong resonance with traditionalism are competent and excel in the rational modern world. And most people, to the degree that they're successful in business, they're adequately green in the sense that nobody wants to discriminate. Everybody wants everybody to have a fair chance. Everybody sees the mar marginalized karmas and so forth. And so in some ways, that's, th these people are better candidates for integral than people who are completely identified in green and postmodern, which a lot of integralists are. Well, you know, I, I was, in a way, neck deep in green as I sort of tried to poke my head into integral. Yeah. So, you know, this is a, sort of another way of getting there. And I think what's critical is what, what adequate green means. And it that means that you can't be too gripped by the previous two yeah. <laughs> stages. I mean, they, got, they can be there, but they can't be as gripping as they were in the sense of being exclusive. So yeah, my, a, that's my two cents on that. I think that's a, that's a beautiful, what I hear in that, Jeff, is a beautiful question, which really gets at 
the various entry points for integral. As I think when we first started doing this work, we had an assumption that the only way to help people get to a more integral consciousness was to start at green and then move up. And while that's clearly you know, available, we've found that if we can actually go down to kind of late orange, early green, even peak orange, and um, you know, in orange with some real strong blue, um, blue complements, the uh, as long as the human beings that we're working with are open, it is um, it is extraordinary what we've been able to uh, what we've been able to create the conditions for, and people will say, well, Rand, come on, I mean, what do you mean you you you've um, been marveling at this? Well, we've had the luxury of being able to work with many of our clients, not for just a year or two or three, but how about eight or how about 10 or how about 14 or how about 17 years with the same human beings, with our team and our faculty, with a longitudinal relationship, okay? Now I wish that we would have employed instruments and assessments, you know, 15 years ago and started tracking people. And that would have been if we were um, better resourced and if we were more um, inclined academically. But I can tell you from a, a direct experience of watching the, um, I, I'm just going to call this, this kind of the blooming of these human beings going from more of an orange blue through green and in, in, in just touching into, I don't really concern myself with what level are people at. I'm, I'm, so while, I, while I'm um, inclined to use the idea of horizontal and vertical, I don't find it to be useful to be um, in a corner at a cocktail party in integral and saying, what, where did you test out? Are you, where, you're, oh, you're coral, I was, I'm turquoise, and oh no, I'm yellow. And it's just like this posturing of, um, of where people are, which had always, led me to believe that they were not actually um, integral as they were comparing their, um, their scores from their you know, various assessments. And so I, I'm, I'm much more interested in the felt indirect experience of, um, of inclusion, this idea of including more and excluding less. And I find so much of the pathology of green is so, it, it, it's ironic that it, there's so much exclusion, exclusion of business modernity, exclusion of, uh, of traditionalism. And I think we're seeing in the most extreme cases, which is more radicalized with, um, with what's happening around Black Lives Matter and other um, very well-intentioned and I think important movements that are um, anti-police, um, defund the police and anti-business and anti-capitalism. I was on a call last week and I was with a bunch of progressives from the coast and I'm the I'm the probably the sole um, the the sole person who is not um, right now just fully captured by the progressive narrative. Um, I hope I hope to have access to it, but I don't feel completely captured by it. But this group was about eight or ten people on Zoom captured by it, and there was this incredible criticism of the business and income inequality, and it was just an attack on business. And then just a few minutes later there was a celebration for the fact that the vaccine has come out. And I'm sitting there going, do you see the contradiction? I said this to myself, do you see the contradiction of this, this disdain 
for science and modernity in business and capitalism and innovation, yet this like embrace of how fast we got a vaccine out, which is the marvel of modernity. And of course there's shadows and there are people who are exploiting at the margins. But I, I, I'm trying to find ways to always, um, when I'm at my best, to try to integrate all of this. But I'm, I'm curious, Jeff, now back question back to you. How does that land and what comes up for you when you hear that? I think you're right. I, I think that that, I, I'm curious about, you know, you're at the cutting edge of business. I was in business, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, and, and I think I was at the cutting edge then, actually, you know, in search of excellence and Tom Peters. Yeah, but yeah. here you are now. And, and not only with your, you know, stake in leadership, but also with conscious capitalism, which is a large group. This is the groups founded by John Mackey and, um, you know, what, a thousand uh, seed level or, you know, what are they? Oh, I would say for, for conscious capitalism, um, so for context, Stegen started in 1999 as a leadership academy. And then I was very lucky in 2008 to, um, to be invited by John Mackey and Kip Tyndall from Container Store. Uh, they were hosting a gathering in Austin, Texas, where John is based and where Kip and John went to school together. And, um, and, and that was the first gathering the quote-unquote conscious capitalism gathering, and uh, and I never left. So I was very fortunate. I was lucky to be at the right place at the right time. I was I was one of a handful of founding board members of Conscious Capitalism, the global nonprofit. I was the first chairman for the first three years um, with John and uh, and Kip and uh, Raj Sasodi and others who were um, who were and continue to be great mentors of mine. And that um, and that movement, Conscious Capitalism, globally. We have chapters now in, uh, in markets, large and small, across the United States. And each of those chapters um, can have, at their local events, can have 50 to 500 attendees. So I would say the number of um, senior executives who are involved in the movement is thousands to tens of thousands now. Yeah, so, uh, wow, that's a significant cultural movement. And, and growing. Around you know, being more conscious in capitalism. Yeah around being more conscious. And, and surprisingly, we do really well in Central America, um, South America. Um, Brazil has a huge chapter um, in some ways that rivals the America's uh, participation. Um, Australia, uh, Europe, we had a European conference a couple years ago with multiple countries gathering. And so there is something that's sort of up, obviously. And, and I don't wanna make this about conscious capitalism. That's just a label. Um, this is about some there, there's a, in the zeitgeist, in, uh, especially in the business world, there is this hunger, I think, catalyzed by the millennials uh, and, their, uh, and their demand for a more inclusive kind of win-win-win, you know, impact purpose orientation. Uh, but one of our, um, we're in a, a group called Imperative 21, which is a, um, a coalition of what we would call fellow travelers. And so many of the listeners are familiar with B Corp. Um, and that movement, which we're uh, you know, with strategic alliances with, um, we also are uh, in relationship with, um, with uh, Just Capital, which is another group. There's also Inclusive Capitalism, which is um, associated with the World Economic Forum. Leila Lynn Rothschild and um, the founder of Salesforce, um, Mark Benioff, is very involved with that. And then finally, um, the B Team, which is uh, Branson's uh, group. And so we started to come together officially about a year and a half ago. And um, 
And so I don't want to make it about conscious capitalism. Mm-hmm. I want to celebrate that there's something happening. Yes. That is, uh, that is, that is, that there's a momentous shift about to, uh, I hope, pop. And uh, these are all maybe early uh, indicators. Great. Well, let me follow up on that and say, good work. One of the things that that uh, we're in agreement about is I would say that we're all pro-business, even though we recognize that there's still you know plenty of ways that it can be improved and plenty of ways that there are bad actors in that um, in that context. But the idea that that the business can be a force for good in the world, and indeed there are all these positive signs that it is it's becoming a greater force for good, and looking itself in the mirror and say how can we be more conscious? These are all fabulously positive developments. I would assess. Um, I also know that one of the things we've talked about a lot this year is this this idea of of reframing uh, this integral perspective as a post-progressive perspective, picking up a little bit about the emerging what we might call pathologies of progressivism, right? The the downsides, according to our philosophy, every one of these worldviews has upsides and downsides. And there are now, in response to some of the events of 2020, voices, uh, strong voices in the, in the pundit sphere and the commentariat, um, taking a stance of extreme anti-progressivism. And one of our challenges is that we, we're not, that we, we know better than to be simply anti-progressive, yeah. but we also, being pro-business, being post-progressive, you know, in our better moments, that um, we're, we're trying to integrate, right? We don't want to just push off against or fight a rear guard action against the emergence of progressivism. We want to transcend it and include it. Yep. And of course, there's the rub. I know you've been doing work in this area, thinking about it. Um, uh, there's a lot more work to do, but maybe you can share a little bit more about um, your thinking about how business can take the challenge of 2020, the, the challenge of being woke or not, you know, in or out, and, yeah. and transcend that dichotomy. Yeah, and I, I think it would be, I'm just going to play off of um, many of the frameworks that I learned from both of you, and this idea of higher ground comes to mind, Steve, right? Uh, really taking it out of your uh, out of your point of view here, and it was so helpful for me when I first heard that um, earlier this year, because um, I use the metaphor of camps, and I think both of you have heard me describe this as, you know, we walk into a valley, and um, and there's a festival going on. And there's, you know, there's, a, there's, there's mountains on both sides and it's beautiful. And we walk over and we see that one camp that's set up in this festival is this kind of blue traditional camp. And we're like, and we come in there and we're just in awe of like the beauty of what's going on inside that camp. And we see the shadowy pathologies going on there. And then we say, hey, let's get out of here, Jeff. Let's walk over to the other camp. And we go over to the, the, the modernist camp. And we see this beautiful, once again, all these these gifts of modernity and the shadow side. And then we go over to the camp you just asked about, the progressive camp. And we find the same things, as Steve, you would call the dignities and disasters in that camp. And so there's these three camps. And I think all of us and anyone listening is is listening because we want to figure out how do we integrate, right? How do we integrate the best of um, of of all three of these primary camps in America today? And what I am learning um, from you guys and just on my own is how the idea of finding common ground and integrating in a place of common ground, which on the surface seems like it's the right path forward, is actually not workable. 
And we, we have to stop pursuing the idea of common ground and actually change the angle and pursue higher ground. And from this place of higher ground, uh, I believe the next camp is being set up. And I think that the people who are listening right now, if I had to guess, are exploring this higher ground territory more individually. They've got a couple of friends, they've got a couple of colleagues, they're on their own, and they're a little bit lost. And then they find this podcast and others like it, and they're like, oh, these are my people. These are the people I need to talk to. But we don't have critical mass for a camp yet. Now, when we do set this camp up, it's not going to be down in the valley. It's going to be just slightly up above higher ground. It's going to be a different camp. And when we get a, a critical mass, other people will be able to join us. And, and this is one of the big dilemmas that we have. For those that want to be part of the solution, and I believe those that are going to the progressive camp are going mostly because they feel like uh, the world is in pain, America's in pain, and we need to come to the aid of that. I actually am going to give um, I'm going to give people, even the traditional camp, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that people are all trying to improve reality and improve our country as they see improvement. And so this is what I call the easy button. The easy button is go visit the camps and then ask yourself, which of these narratives of these camps most resonate with me? And all I need to do is just press the easy button, join the camp, progressive camp, modernist camp, traditional camp, and then surrender and subordinate my own agency, my own thinking to the collective narrative of that camp. And I will be honest with you guys, and I'm coming, the matrix is coming to mind right now. I hadn't ever thought about this, that scene in the matrix when he has decided to, um, when one of the, um, when one of the Morpheus's team members has decided to go back in and um, he's eating the steak and he says, I know it's not real, but I don't care. And he just wants to just, he just wants to plug back into the matrix. And, and that idea that like, wow, I could just join a camp and then I don't have to work. I don't have to think for myself. I don't have to struggle. I don't have to be in some ways terrified by the fact that I don't understand what the right solution is for the hyperpolarization in America today, or is this terrifying? If I could just join the progressive camp with D'Angelo and Kendi, I could just like I could just I could just take on their narrative, or I could join I could join the modernist camp. I could listen to Sam Harris and be like, I'm just gonna like hang out with Sam Harris. He's in the modernist camp, or I could go over to the traditional camp and I could just surrender over there. And there's wonderful people and characters in all the camps. And I actually believe, Steve, that what we need to do is we need to have the discipline as those of us that resonate with integral theory, integral enthusiasts. Okay, I'm not even going to say I'm integral, okay? Because I don't want to play that game of like, oh, I'm better than other people. But I am drawn to the idea of, I'm an enthusiast of the ideas of integral. And if I can um, hold out and wait and maybe play some small role in setting up this next camp, a camp where integration can happen, a camp where higher ground can actually inform a path forward. And I am not optimistic that there is going to be a lot of, um, there's going to be a lot of huh, road less traveled in 2021 and 2022. I think people are going to pick a camp 
and they're gonna and this is so it's just like so fascinating to me of people in progressivism who are all about inclusion that say you you're either with us or you're against us if you're not in the anti-racism camp then that means you're a racist and it's like no actually that separation for me goes completely against what um, what healthy green stands for the healthy green stands for the recognizing that as my uh, i think i've told you guys this quote i love from um from uh, from a, a a catholic priest and um father greg boyle and he says imagine a circle of compassion and now imagine nobody standing outside that circle and what 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 just gives me such pause is how people are in these camps with righteousness of right and wrong and us and them and good and bad as opposed to realizing we need to stay in the heat the cauldron of development and not turn away from anxiety i actually think joining a camp is a way of turning away from our own anxiety it's a tension relieving mechanism because then i don't have to deal with all that bullshit from the other people in the other camps because my camp is right and those are wrong as opposed to how do i step into higher ground here how do i step into debate and dialogue and exchange of ideas and diversity of ideas with people who see the world differently without ejecting and staying in that and that that is a heat that most people do not have an appetite for. And my clients, which is what, this is what's so great about business people, is business people are inclined for discipline. Business people, I'm making some generalizations here, especially high performers, which we specialize in, they, they, they resonate with this idea that I have to have discipline and a commitment and perseverance and to stay in the heat of their own discomfort, to stay in the heat of their own um, difficulties, it's, it's a little bit more natural to them. It's almost like athletes, right? If you work with athletes, athletes are gonna have this almost this wiring for dealing with pain and dealing with anxiety and dealing with growth because they know that that's where the, the growth happens. And I think business people are maybe the best, um, the best kind of archetype, um, and this seems counterintuitive, to help push our country to an integral consciousness because, because of that wiring around discipline and anxiety. And our clients are pushing into green and they're experiencing their own discomfort with, we do somatics work and we do feeling work and we do things that are just like, if our clients knew they were gonna be working with therapists, they would never sign up. They're like, they're like, oh, I'm going to work with Stegen Leadership Academy. I'm going to be assigned an executive coach. And yeah, the executive coach is an executive coach, but many of them are psychotherapists and psychologists. And by the time our clients figure that out, they're like, you tricked me. And we're like, yeah, we did. We tricked you. We, 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 we wrapped a bunch of candy on the outside of the medicine, and we would told you we were going to help you get more done in less time. Check. We are going to help you delegate, check. We're going to help you prioritize, check. Did we deliver all those things? Yes, you did. Okay. And after that, then we actually earned the right, our team, we earned the right to do what we really care about, which is the deep inner work of development. But you don't get to do deep inner work with powerful business people 
And we work also with some politicians. We also work with some spiritual and religious leaders that run large mega churches that are the senior pastors, mostly business people, but we work with power. And for people who are listening right now who say, I understand that one of the most important catalysts for transforming a society is for the transformation of those in power to happen. Either that they get, it happens to them, they get a revolutionary, right? Or it's an evolutionary shift. We've chosen the ins, as conscious leadership says, conscious leadership is an inside job. So if you want access to the armored, powerful human beings running things, you gotta actually earn it. And so we earn it with results and then we get inside and then we can spend a decade or two or hopefully three or four helping those people evolve and unfold from the inside. But I am, I am, I'm just unapologetic about this. We are, we're all about Trojan horses and we're all about, you know, playing the game and speaking into people's listening to going down the developmental spiral, going into those camps and, and respecting and honoring where those people are, meeting them where they are, as opposed to demanding that they meet us where we are, because that's not higher ground leadership at all. Wow, well put. And yeah, I'm learning right guys, as much as much as anything else. So I'm like super grateful that I get to talk about this. <laughs> well, Rand, I love your uh, visualization of the three camps and going up the hill and having higher ground. And uh, I thought you uh, put it very delicately about the shadow. Uh, but if we unfurl the shadow, it's what is, we're seeing is that these three camps are at war. <laughs> and oh, they're yeah. certainly a war of words at this point, which is uh, progress uh, itself. Uh, and, 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 and yes, business is the crucible. It often is, it turns out, because business people actually have to deliver. A lot of, you know, theoretical thought comes out of academia and it doesn't, you know, its job is to think. Yeah. And then you get this big, um, you know, encounter between, well, right now it's between traditionalists and, uh, and green postmodernists at work, I'm assuming. And, um, you know, how are they actually integrating this? What, what is actually happening in companies where they have to deal with woke um, th theory? Um, they have to keep the system going and uh, and see the pieces of the truth of all of it, and uh, you know it seems like you know it, like you said it's it's hot hot in there. And what are we actually seeing? Well, I think we're seeing the sort of beautiful adapting of business, and I think some businesses are going to adapt, and some businesses will not. Some businesses will embrace you know, diversity and inclusion and, uh, and, and really look for opportunities to um, create spaces for talented, um, meritocracy driven for talented people to be able to rise and to be able to thrive inside their environments. And I'm, I'm very proud of many of our, what we call member companies. We don't call them clients because their, their brands are associated with us through their CEO. And then, uh, and then we consider those brands and the CEO and the individuals we work with to be members of our community. And, 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 and we're seeing 
this evolution. And we're also seeing, which is the beauty and the, and the sort of the soup, the hot mess of, of development, we're seeing many people resist. And we're seeing many people and our clients even trenching in and feeling like they have to go to war with progressivism. And what I say to my friends and colleagues and fellow travelers who are, um, who are you know, incredibly talented and complex and driven from more of a progressive view, a postmodern view, and there is, this, there is this outrage in them. And I'll say to them, what do you want from me? Okay, I have, I have access to directly hundreds of CEOs across North America that I can just pick up and I'm, I don't take this lightly. I can just pick up and call on a Friday night and those CEOs will, will often pick up if I call because it's a weird time to call. So I have my team, this is not about me. I have an amazing faculty and a team, but we have access to power. What do you want? I say to my outraged progressive friends, my social justice friends, and they say, I want you to be more outraged, Rand. And I say, you want me to be more outraged so that in service of what? In service of, and I have, I've heard this from multiple people, not just read this in an article, so that we can dismantle the oppressive system of business. And I'm like, that's a stupid, stupid idea, okay? You are going, you are, you're asking me to go to people in positions of power and influence so that they can actually get dismantled they're not going to let go of their power and unless and i told one of my uh, colleagues this unless the united states government anything could happen unless the united states government seizes assets and does a uh, a redistribution of wealth and we're talking about like taking people's property taking their money taking their their wealth and resources and redistributing it you do not want to poke at these people. I know these people. I work with these people. I am intimate with these people. You do not want to poke at them and, and, and tell them that they are evil human beings and that they are white supremacists and racists and that they are um, and that they are um, that they are supporting a country. I'm going to go extreme here in hyperbole because I hear these things. The that the United the United States is irredeemably an irredeemably racist sin-filled country. These are people who love this country. Yes, they love this country because they were taught a partial truth, a heroic truth of America. And yes, those same people need to understand that that partial truth of America needs to be expanded and they need to see more of the ugly part of our history as a country. But that does not mean that they were taught a lie and that does not mean that they were um, that they are that they are supporting an evil an evil um, entity called the United States, but yet on the extreme, Steve, as you're talking about this radicalized, you know, this 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 anti-racism. I'm going to use that as a as a proxy attitude, which isn't just anti-racism, because I believe that the anti-racist radical community believes that the the mother of racism is capitalism. Okay, if you think about the idea of Beowulf, it's not the monster, right? That was the problem. It's the mother that birthed the monster. That's the real root cause. And it, and it, gives, me, it gives me great concern that there is an attack on, um, on racism and that some people are actually using that as a way to get at what they believe is the real root cause, which is capitalism.
which is which is which is the basis of our free market and our democracy. And so um, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to go to our stakeholders and say it's time for you to get dismantled. I will go to our stakeholders and say it's time for you to get uncomfortable. It's time for you to feel a, a sense of pain, a sense of anxiety. It's time for you to learn things about America that you never were exposed to when you were young. And that's, and that's a pain that they need to have. I don't, want to, I don't want to insulate them. And this is called the emotional off-ramp. Rand, you just want unity. And what you need is you need to be outraged. And I'm like, actually, I want, there to, I want the healthy part of outrage and the healthy part of unity and that polarity I don't want to fall prey to the pathology of either side. And that's another beauty of, of higher ground. Not only can we use higher ground metaphorically to speak to the verticality of the spiral, we can also use higher ground for those that are familiar with polarity mapping. And we can see the polarities everywhere. And we can see the higher positives of both sides of a polarity as higher ground also and try to minimize the lower shadowy negatives, the overused of each side of the polarity. So I, I love, as you guys know, higher ground as a, uh, as a big idea for our camp that we're setting up right now in this conversation. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, well stated. Um, well, okay, so let me, let me focus a little bit uh, on the, the experience of those who've been through the Stegen Academy. It's worth noting that last year when I was co-authoring the book Conscious Leadership, with John Mackey and Carter Phipps, we interviewed about 30 CEOs, many of them involved with the conscious capitalism movement. And the ones who had the best stories, the ones who were most inspiring to us, were the ones who had been through the Stegen Academy. And, and they yep. were like evangels for vertical dimensional growth. Um, I just want you to say a little bit more about what that looks like and how we can translate that, um, that evident growth in consciousness uh, among the people who take your course into the larger society, you know, parallels between individual and collective development? I mean, I think that the, what's most important about what, what we are learning to do, like I said, we're, we're 20 years into this, what Wilbur, I think, playfully described, I didn't hear him say this, but playfully described once to others as that experiment going on in Dallas, right? We have this little experiment. We're 20 years in, uh, I can see another 20 or 30 years. It gets, gets a, little bit, a little bit fuzzy after that, but I can feel that in my body that we're really still just getting started as, a, as an organization ourselves. And, uh, and what people often ask is, you know, Rand, how are you able to, you and your team, how are you able to create the conditions for such consistent stories of transformation, okay? And I'm going to say it's all about practice, okay? I, say, I use the word discipline. It's all about practice. And people are like, what do you mean? Well, you can't read, just read books and watch videos and, and just absorb. You have to put the ideas on the ground and practice with them and use, as Keegan would say, use a, um, a, a, a combination of challenge and support and create what we call a container. So whenever we have cohorts, we have cohorts typically of 20, and we have a variety of different programs, the Integral Leadership Program being one of them, our Advanced Leadership Program, um, more of our graduate, and then several others. And in all of our offerings, we have a set of design principles, 
product and service design principles. And at the foundation is a sacred declaration to the nature of this work. We believe that our work ultimately is sacred work. We believe that this, this work of human development is spiritual work, it's emotional work, it's psychological work, but it's sacred work. And if you are wondering, do we use that with our clients? Hell yes, we use that with our clients. We will, we're unapologetic about that. We didn't used to be so explicit, but thanks to the millennials, we can be much more explicit around purpose, impact, meaning, uh, and even spirituality, assuming we define it as a spiritual person, we would define, feels that they are a part of something bigger. And they can be spiritual in the context of religion, with God, they can be spiritual in the context of nature, and they can walk out into where you all live up in Colorado and feel like I'm a part of something so much grander and bigger. They can even um, be spiritual in the context of the cosmos and just realize that uh, we're so small in the context of what is beyond our earth. And so, yes, the work is spiritual. And as spiritual work, it requires a, uh, a, a, an environment, you know, Steve, you culture, right? A culture, an environment, and a peer experience in which people are challenged by a coach and by each other, and also when necessary, supported by a coach or by their peer group, because there's always a peer piece. We don't do anything in isolation. We don't have apps. We don't have self-directed um, programs. Every program is um, experienced within a community space. There's always two or more, okay, are gathered, as we would say. And those, um, and, and so that, that piece is, there's a we piece and there's a practice piece. And Steve, what our colleagues that have come and visited us from around the country and say, we wanna be able to replicate, because I'm open source about all this. You wanna learn how we're doing it? We'll teach you how we're doing it. And then we teach people and they're like, I don't wanna do that. It's too hard. And I'm like, yeah, you don't want to do that. And America wants to figure out how we can get healthy. And the reality is we already know, with, with some exceptions, we already know how our country can get healthy. We can start to eat well and exercise. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. America doesn't want to hear that. We want the silver bullet. But the reality is that we already know, with exceptions, there's medical exceptions out on the margin. But we already know how our country can get physically well and physically fit. We don't need any more research. We don't need any more white papers. We need to do what we already know how to do. And my corollary, Steve, is we already know how to wake up humanity. We already know how to help humanity become more conscious. We just have to do what we already know how to do. And this is about practicing and this is about practicing with others and about being in that cauldron of support and challenge and staying in it. And I think the most important thing that we do that is unfortunately an exception in the corporate training space is we think about everything in one year and 10 year increments. The shortest program we have for a new client is a 52 week intensive. But, but, but Rand, what about the two-day program? I'm not in the entertainment business. I will not be complicit, okay, with pretending that development and training is happening in an event. No matter how good the event is, no matter how great the people are who are teaching it, or how eager the students are, development happens through time, and development happens with practice. And it's like, people are like, well, we don't like that, Rand, because we, wanna, we want the quick hit. And I'm like, too bad, okay? That's why we don't work with public companies for the most part. We have a handful, 
We work primarily with private businesses where the private businesses say, we're gonna play the long game in our development. And when the public company says, um, we want a two day program to help somebody become a better communicator, we're like, good luck. Go, go spend the money and go entertain people and go feel good about yourself. And Steve, this is what we need more of. We need more long-term commitment, whether it's in the body, whether it's in our consciousness. And I actually don't think it's very complicated um, of what is, what's the prescription. I think the implementation is very complex. And I think you've got to get, and the last thing I'll share is we, with a few exceptions, we just don't work with an organization unless the CEO goes first. So when a company calls us and says, hey, I'm the head of HR and we want you guys to come and work with our company, we're like, nope. How, tell us what, where, where's the CEO in uh, her development? Where's the CEO in her, uh, in her practice, her journey? Well, we don't need to talk about the CEO. We need to talk about the, the company. I, I talked to a Fortune 50, a three HR people in Europe, and they said, we want you to come speak at our European conference. I was flattered. And I said, well, let's talk. Tell me about the CEO. Oh, the CEO is all supportive of this. You know, there's, it's a big initiative. And I said, no, no, no. I want to know what the CEO's commitment is, was a man, to his development. Does he work with a coach? Is he practicing? What is he struggling with? What is his commitment to, to this kind of work that you're asking me to come and do with your top leaders in Europe? And they're like, well, no one's ever asked us that question. We have no visibility. And I'm like, I'm not interested. I don't, what am I going to do? I'm going to get on an airplane. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be a, a, a little show, make people feel good. And then the CEO isn't actually living the very thing he's asking people to do. And I would call that an incongruence or lack of integrity. And so I'm just I, at this stage in my life. And I've, you know, I've, uh, I would hope earned the right to be honest but I talk this straight to people who are Fortune 500 CEOs, and we go to dinner, we go to lunch, and I'll talk this straight, and they'll be like, I'm not interested in that. And, th and they'll often say, like, is this a sales pitch as a way to like do what's called a takeaway, where you're taking it away, unless I say, and I'm like, no, this is, there's no game here. This is, this is you have to realize as the CEO that as you go, so goes the organization. Okay, and I wanna say this again. As goes the leader, so goes the organization. And I believe that the consciousness of a leader actually leaks out in both positive and negative into the team. And then the team leaks out into the culture. And then the culture leaks out into the entire organization. And then the entire organization leaks out into society. So if we want to help business be a force for good, and we want to transform businesses, businesses don't change. People do. Businesses don't change. Okay, the people running the business and the people working in the business change. So we've got to go upstream in our experience and go straight to the top. And most senior executives who are leading organizations, the, the top team, don't, do not have an appetite to look in the mirror and do their own work. They want to delegate this to coaches and consultants, and they don't want to actually walk the talk. And, and once again, not interested, not interested in participating and being complicit in that charade. So obviously I have a strong opinion on this. So <laughs> no, that was well stated again. Yeah, uh, Rand, uh, um, I love your, uh, you know, dedication to doing it together. And, you know, nobody's doing the self-study 
And um, so I'm curious, how are you managing that in this age of COVID? And have you learned anything about that you might keep in terms of, I assume you've gone virtual in some fashion? Yep. Um, and uh, anything that might be scalable? I think what we've learned is the ability to pivot from physical workshops. Our programs always have um, and have always had a blended delivery where we take um, that 52 weeks and we had that cohort of 20 and we typically bring them to Dallas one day per quarter and for the physical workshop and then everything else is phone-based, email-based and we have some proprietary technology to track practices. The, um, what we learned in COVID to my surprise is that we could pivot temporarily to, um, to Zoom for, um, to video for the workshops. Now we're going back to a blended model where people can come in person or uh, virtual and we'll eventually have our flagship more high-end program will eventually go back to in person. But your question of what we learned that we're gonna take forward as an innovation is we have other products and other offerings that will actually be, be virtual, which we never had imagined pre-COVID. We never had this idea. We always thought there had to be a physical component and now we realize that we have this optionality to be able to do physical or virtual, but some of our, um, our offerings were, are now gonna go completely virtual, making it less expensive for our clients and making it um, to be able to democratize more of what we do to more people, especially cascading inside of a single organization. Because our, our perfect world is the CEO goes through our flagship program and eventually the top team goes through that same program. And then we like to bring things down to the next layer of let's say 20 or 40. And then beneath that, we'd like to be able to go if it's thousands of employees down hundreds of employees who are in leadership roles, but we never had an affordable way to cascade. And thanks to our ability to now use Zoom uh, as, a, uh, as a delivery mechanism, we actually are already doing it. We're already cascading. And I'll tell you a year and a half ago, I would have said there's no way that we could do it and we're doing it. And I was, I was wrong. And what a, it's such, such a great thing to be wrong and to like celebrate. I was so wrong. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That would yeah. Be the I think a lot of us have learned so much. And, you know, when I hear what you're doing, I feel like I'm witnessing evolution of consciousness and culture in action. And uh, yeah. it would be, you know, to have a technological leap into a wider global reach or scalable reach. I think that's uh, that's pretty neat. And the, and the big thing is that I'm I'm thinking about right now. People ask, you know, what about your industry? Uh, you know, gosh, leadership training seems to be a real luxury. And I'm like, no, actually, helping people lead in a uh, in a growing time of complexity and ambiguity and challenge. I mean, I'm long on you know the kind of leadership we teach i think that there's a the demand for what we do is only going to increase not decrease and it's definitely not a luxury item we um we we've just got to be able to attract and be known to the people that are looking for what um we specifically do and, and i've been thinking a lot about you know jeff's scale because there's parts of scale that are very exciting to me scaling impact and there's parts of scale that are that give me great concern and i think that it really has to do with when scale is um, when scale dilutes the humanity, the the care, the love that we bring 
uh, at least we try to bring to everything we do. We, we don't just deliver products and services and, uh, and, then, you know, and then just you know, ring the cash register. We're on, the, uh, we're, on the, we're on the edge with our clients. We're in the arena with our clients and we care deeply about them and the experience they're having. And, and there's a, it's a heart-based dimension of this work. And when I think about, there's a, um, there's a, Marianne Williamson, you, you know, the author, um, she wrote a book called A Return to Love. And she said something in that book that forever changed. She didn't, I'm not quoting her, this is my interpretation, forever changed how I think about business. And she said something to the effect of, you can think of a business and your customers, okay? And you can think about it in one of two ways. You can think about your business as a place, if you're a retailer, let's say like a restaurant, a place that people come to get something or a place that people come so that we can give them something. And so this, this distinction between are they coming to McDonald's to get something? Yes, and it's scale. And when you go to McDonald's, and you know, I occasionally will like to get a, uh, you know, a quarter pounder with cheese, and no matter where I am in the world, it's, I go and get that, and it's consistent, and it tastes the same. And yet, I can go to another restaurant that's not at the same scale, but has a different orientation. When I walk into other restaurants, I can feel that they're there to give me something, a giving of themselves, a giving of care, a giving of service, the, you know, the idea of servant leadership. And so I really think as, as all of us think about bringing more of this conscious technology and this consciousness into products and services, we've got to stay vigilant to the human piece and the caring piece. And I am convinced that, um, that it can happen at scale. Now, I've, although I've never uh, participated in AA and Alcoholics Anonymous before, I have many friends, many clients who are, um, who are members of that community and have been for many years. And the way they describe it to me is fascinating because aside from organized religion, uh, AA may be you know, one of the best examples of transformation at scale, where there are these principles where people come into community. I don't see anybody talking about getting rid of those inefficient meetings that are happening because now that we have these iPhones, we can just get rid of those meetings and everything can be you know, an app that's self-directed, but there's a human piece that happens in, uh, in that environment. And, there is, um, the, and there's a love and there's a care, but there's also a challenge, right? There's that pressure cooker again of, of support and challenge. And so I do believe that that transformation, because that's what I'm, that's what I stand for is transformation. The transformation can be delivered at scale. Um, and I think there aren't a lot of examples in the for-profit world, because I think something gets lost and diluted as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it becomes more of a machine and less um, organic and less, uh, and less heart-centered. And yep. so, yeah, a little bit of a, yeah. bit of that's, a random, random thought. Yeah, that, wow. well, that is the that challenge, was, isn't it? That was uh, good to hear, especially like a comparison to AA. Um, 
Okay, so we've, all three of us, have been involved in this integral intellectual community for 20 years now. And it feels like there's something new going on to pick up on your vivid metaphor of the camps in the valley. And we're trying to stake out, you know, higher ground where we can appreciate all, all the, the dignities of all three or four camps. And um, one of the things that I think the life conditions seem to be fresh. In other words, we've been involved with this for 20 years. It's had its ups and downs as a movement, but it now feels like we have a new opportunity. And as we embark on this new post progressive opportunity to, uh, to, stake out higher ground. One of the things that I try to emphasize and return to is the need to be continuously self-critical, right? For us to look in the mirror and say, what can we do better? What are we doing wrong? Or what are our disasters or shortcomings or blatant ones at least? Yeah. Maybe I could ask you if you have any thoughts about that, about how we can um, do better here as we start a new in a new phase of this movement. Well, we've talked a lot about this. I think that I think that one of the keys is going to be to stay open to the possibility that the integration to higher ground is not going into the valley, going to the progressive camp, and trying to find those that are ready. Okay? I think on the surface, the term post-progressive, for some people, it may imply that the only people who are welcome in a post-progressive camp are progressives. And I don't think that that's where you're coming from, Steve, or Jeff, where you're coming from. And so I think that the opportunity exists because of what's unique in the world right now, especially with modernity, that there may be an opportunity to help people move through what would be considered kind of that green, you know, you gotta go from, you know, go from orange to green to integral, and maybe, because we're seeing this at Stegen, we can move people through the parts of, of green that are necessary without getting stuck there, without, getting, without having to spend a decade there, a much more efficient way of moving through it, not skipping it, but can the camp at, um, at higher ground, can the culture, can the center of gravity, and this is a question, actually, create the conditions for people from all three camps. You know, I don't have a lot of clients that are peak traditionalists, right? What I have is a, is a person who's mostly in the modernity camp. They're a business person, a capitalist, but they've got some really strong religious and family and patriotic beliefs that are in traditionalism. So how can we welcome the fullness of those three camps of traditionalists, the modernists, and, and the modernists, and the progressives, up to um, higher ground and integral, I think that there's a, I think there's a window right now, and I think that the pain of the pandemic, combined with the pain of racial inequity, combined with the pain of income inequality, I think something is about to crack that definitely wasn't happening 20 years ago. And so I, I wonder, back to you guys. You know, what, what do you think is, um, is potentially catalyzing about the hot mess that we're in right now as a planet that could actually be the very thing we need to pop these camps up? So what do you think, Jeff? You know, I love how we play with these models. And one of the ways that just is coming to mind as you're talking, Rand, is so we have these three stages, the 
traditional, modern, postmodern. And we have horizontal development so that integral can be seen as the continued development of all of these so that we get more sensitive. You know, we really do see where people have been marginalized in ways that we didn't before. Yeah. And that new, and good green continues to come online. And then we get more reasonable and scientific and logical and learn how to work with the world on its own terms, you know, like a good modernist. And then we have these deeper, you know, a reawakening, a re-enchantment of the world and of, of the love of country and love of planet so that that itself could be seen as a definition of integral. So I'm good with, you know, working it that way. And, uh, you know, it feels like it just naturally want to integrate. It all yeah. naturally wants to yeah. integrate when you liberate them. I, and what I love, I interviewed John Mackey for my community. We had a couple hundred of our members with him right after um, the book that, you know, Steve and, and Carter and John wrote, Conscious Leadership. And what I love that John did, and he, 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 he helped me gain a better understanding of higher ground uh, in the move that he made. I was, I was, I had this bias to like, oh, I'm up on the hill looking down on these three camps so they can come up to where we are. A little bit of the shadow of integral, a little bit of the elitism, a little bit of the arrogance. I think I was embodying that in the interview. And John, and John, who I you know consider a dear friend, he just, um, he just, he just poked me and said, look, Higher ground to him, he described. Higher ground was, and I'm hearing you say the same thing, Jeff, meeting people where they are and seeing what's next for them. What's their higher ground? What's their next evolutionary step? And there's such a respect in that. And there's such a, a kindness in that, as opposed to like, we're up here and you're down the valley and you need to be where we are no, we need to go down to the valley where you are and we need to meet them where they are and we need to find out what's the next move for them. And if they're in the traditionalist camp and they are, and they are, and they really are um, seeing the world in a much more black and white way and they really are, you know, seeing people um, in ways that are not helpful and there's a bigotry and there's a true racism and there is a, um, there is a, you know, against homosexuality and all these things. And maybe they just need to be disillusioned at a rate they can handle. And maybe their next move is just a little bit more expansiveness. And that's what's right for them. And the same thing with modernity and the same thing with progressive. And the arrogance of people need to be where I'm at is, um, is I think, the biggest, it's the metapathology. Yeah. Is that, is that I'm right and you're wrong because you're not seeing it where I'm at. And a friend of mine described this to me. I think I told you guys this a few weeks ago. And I love the Montessori example. You know, this, that the, what if the United States of America were a big Montessori classroom? And in Montessori, everybody in the classroom is actually learning at the level that they're at. And nobody's saying, you know, hey, this kid over here who's working at math at the level that she's at, and, she's, and there are kids of her same age or even younger who are working at a higher level, it's not a, there's not a judgment of right or wrong. It's that everybody is respected and honored for where they are. And then we, have a, we have a country filled with diversity where people are making sense of reality 
in ways that are actually relative to where they are in the classroom. And so how do we, how do we like meet them there and celebrate that? And this isn't about tolerating um, behavior that is destructive, right? There, there's still boundaries, there's still consequences, there's still what we've been calling integral discernment. We can be, we can have judgment without being judgmental. I know that's a cliche, but I think it's a good cliche. And so that, that's what comes to mind for me is um, we've got to bring more nuance, complexity, and we've got to have more patience. We are generations away, okay? Generations away, hundreds of years away potentially of everyone in America being at green. Because if everyone in America were already at green, we'd have different problems, but we wouldn't be having this whole racism debate that we're having right now. But it's like, are we, are we patient enough to realize that our job, if we're lucky, all of us listening, if we're lucky to have 100 years here, that in the, that in the long arc of time, of 13.8 billion years of the Big Bang, that we're here for 100 years if we're lucky, and we, we, we've got to do the best we can do to, to progress things. But to suggest that it should all happen in our lifetime, it goes back to, I think, one of the arrogance and one of the pathologies uh, of, of, of righteousness. Like, it all has to happen while I'm alive. It's like, no, what if, it, what if we just move the ball down the field and we do our best, we work our asses off, and we care deeply, but we don't think that it should all happen in our lifetime. So yeah, that's the application of long-term decadism, centuryism, yeah. millennialism. Yes, centuryism. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. All right. Well, I feel complete, perfect, and whole. That was yeah, that fabulous. Was good, man. We've been friends for especially this last year. Uh, but to really get your download, uh, I really do feel like I'm seeing evolution in action here. And I particularly love, I mean, if there's anything I walk away with, it's how you're knitting the sacred and the love part into what you're doing. And, you know, that alone is a showstopper. And I appreciate your, your, your you know, standing firm on that and, and holding on to that. And it's, um, it's going to be ever more interesting to see the fruits of your work. And I and I, I don't want to um, also marginalize the other parts of this, which are not just the love and the care and the humanity, but also the fierceness and the competition and the winning and the actual innovation. Like I'm a capitalist and I do my best to try to be a conscious human being at the same time. And how do we all integrate the best of capitalism and the best of our consciousness journey together, because so often people think, oh, you know, it's just about the warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I, I love, give me a tree, let's hug a tree, okay, let's do that. But also give me an opportunity to compete and to support people competing so we can compete and innovate and actually create better outcomes for our stakeholders, better outcomes for the consumers. And, and I think this is something that we all need to do more of is noticing where our own biases are and our own uh, preferences are, and recognizing that if you're a tennis player and you have a forehand, that's great, but you need to actually develop the backhand and that may be a little bit less comfortable. And if you've got a great backhand and not a great forehand, you've gotta be able to move with the, what I would call the versatility 
of an athlete as a leader and the range of motion, okay? And this idea of like moving from the head to the heart to the gut, but having that, um, that, that capacity to move within oneself and the capacity to move to where the situation calls us, where the ball is externally, but it's that internal and external capacity that so often people are like, no, I got a forehand. It's great. Oh, I'm really good in my emotions or I'm really good in my body. I'm really good in my somatics, but I'm not so great with the, with the, with my, with my mind. It's like, no, you, you high bar. I mean, this is why I love working with business people because there, there's an appetite for, for constant um, growth and development in some of the business world, especially those that we work with because they, they self-select. But thank you, Jeff. I'm, I, did, I noticed myself not wanting to come across a little bit incomplete in uh, in forgetting some of the 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 more the more hardcore stuff. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. No. no, right on. Steve, any last thoughts? Well, I'm just very much looking forward to the work we have laid before us in 2021 with the uh, you know our work in staking out higher ground, and uh, it's an honor to be working with you in this um, important and exciting project. Yeah. You know, feeling is mutual, and uh, to all those listening, it is an honor to be uh, to be in this um, exploration of this territory together. Um, even though we're all um, in the in the territory in many ways separated, um, especially geographically, but we'll uh, we'll we'll be building this camp together, and um, it'll be a uh, it'll be a wonderful beacon for those in the years and decades ahead that are looking for something that is um, not yet. Uh, clearly available. I'll end with this, Steve. You know, you had said something um, a few months ago about close encounters of the third kind, which you know, just you know hit my heart of that one scene when you know everybody's all those multiple scenes when people are being drawn to Richard Dreyfus in the potato mashed potatoes and the woman who's painting, and they're all being drawn to this place. And I feel like integral has been that that coalescing. Uh, draw for for so many of us for many decades, and I do feel Jeff that we are um, that that maybe maybe the world wasn't ready. Okay, maybe we were we were ready 20 or 30 years ago, um, and and the world wasn't ready, or maybe neither of neither side was ready. But there's something that seems to be present today that is um, that is unique and encouraging. So um, yes, onward. indeed, mm-hmm. may it be so. Well, thank you, Rand Stegen. I guess people can find out more about you at stegen.com. That's it. All right. All right. Uh, Thank you, Steve McIntosh, Institute for Cultural Evolution. And thank you, folks, for listening to The Daily Evolver, dailyevolver.com. See you next time. Thanks, guys.